there were some persons in this passage, in this event, in the ministry of Jesus, who, um, well, the people had different views of what Jesus had done for them and what they deserved to get from him. And on the one hand, there are some who take him for granted, and on the other hand, there are those who were grateful and humble. And we have to make that same decision every day in our lives. Our sinful nature wants, always wants to lapse back into taking him for granted. But as Christians, we need to remember every day is to be grateful and humble for what he has done and is doing in our lives. And that's what we'll see together. The uh, passage, uh, we're going to look at, I'll read that to you uh, now from uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all the sayings, as Jesus he's talking about, finished all the sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, this is the elders, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. Oh, and, and he is. And he is the one who has built the synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and, do, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So we're going to look at this today, we're studying it in three points that are on this next slide. And um, give me a click to operate here. But I'm going to figure out which button works. It works for me, so I can't take too many tries. There we go. We're going to look at these three points. Never forget where Jesus brought you from. And the second one is, never confuse who is worthy of what. And number three, never confuse who decides what is best. So in the first one, we'll take a look at now, and it is um, never forget where Jesus brought you from. What we see at this point is we should thank God every day for what he has already done for you at the cross. And it, there's several points I'm going to cover. And just uh, from here, so you can sort of follow along where I'm going. Here. In verse 1, it says, after he finished his sayings, that's referring to that sermon that was in chapter 6 that, that didn't finish up. So that's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Many believe that it was actually part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so that it was, he was speaking at a level place on the side of a mountain. <clears throat> and so when he finished that sermon, now he came into the town. It says he entered Capernaum, uh, which is a town on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was an important town. In fact, when Jesus went back to the synagogue of Nazareth, where he was beginning his ministry, and he spoke to the people. He talked to the fact that, that God wasn't just going to do miracles among, among the Jewish people. He had already done miracles among the Gentiles and, and the ministry people there, too. And they were so incensed by that in his hometown of Nazareth, they ran him out of the place. And from that point on, his home was essentially in Capernaum. You can read some more about that in, in chapter 4 of the also in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. So this was now... 
it's, it's kind of interesting to call it his home because he didn't spend a whole lot of time sitting around <coughs> of home. And this was his home base. He did many of his teachings, many of his miracles here. He called Matthew as his disciple here at, at Capernaum. So then what I want to focus on next are these, these several individuals or groups of individuals uh, who we see through the, the rest of uh, this particular section of, of uh, the passage. So there was, we, we mentioned Jesus who began his ministry here. Uh, the centurion, the centurion was a Roman official, some kind of military or police official. That's something else that tells us that Capernaum must have been a significant large town to have a Roman official who men under him who was stationed at that location. And what we also see is this individual who is his servant, a valued servant who was important to him. And the servant was very sick. We see in verse 6, or verse 2, it just mentions that he's sick. Verse 10, it almost as an afterthought, it says, and when they returned home, he was well. Uh, what's even more interesting about that, he kind of miraculously healed. Luke is himself a physician. Luke is writing this gospel. He's a physician. We think this would be amazing, really amazing to him that a man was healed of a, of a grave illness and Jesus didn't even have to go to the person or touch him or give him anything. He was just healed. But that wasn't even the biggest thing in this particular account. What the Holy Spirit really inspired me to write about was the faith of the centurion that resulted in Jesus responding. That faith was even more important. That's what the focus is on in this passage. It mentions the, uh, the elders of the Jews. These were some of the leading men in their religious community in this town of Capernaum, and they were, they were sent by the centurion to, to talk to Jesus on his behalf. And then uh, later in the passage, he sent some of his friends to, to convey a message to Jesus as well. And in the next section, we'll talk a little bit about the significance of them speaking on behalf of the, on behalf of the centurion. There's one that didn't make it on a slide here, a person who's not named in here, but is an important figure, is Luke himself. Luke is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down this account of this, this thing that happened, this event in the ministry of Jesus. And the reason why I find that significant is this centurion was a Roman official. And this is a great contrast to the Jewish leaders here in this passage. So the Jewish leaders look down on practically everybody except themselves. And so they look down on the Romans. The Romans were uh, the oppressive people who were controlling their country. These Romans were, were not Jews, they were not religious, and they were, in fact, Gentiles, non-Jews. And Jews looked down on them for that. And that was the very thing that, that Jesus' message had been since Old Testament times. They had been told the gospel was going to be for all people. And Jesus was going to take that message to the, the Gentiles as well. But the Jews didn't think that God's message was for anybody except the Jews. So here is Luke, and he's writing this account. It's got to be exciting already. He's writing about the ministry of Jesus Christ who saved him. But on top of it, it's this part. He's got to be thinking, oh, I love this part. Here's the part where that, that Gentile Roman officer showed greater faith in the local uh, Jewish religious leaders. So he has to be really enjoying it. We know that Luke was himself a Gentile. We're told that in Colossians chapter 4. And in fact, he's, I believe, the only writer of any of the books in the entire Bible who was not Jewish, he was a Gentile. And so here he gets the opportunity to write about this, this message going out uh, to a Gentile, a Gentile demonstrating faith that was superior to that of the Jews. There's the, uh, the connection for Luke gets even stronger. In Luke chapter 16, there's an event 
where Paul is going on his missionary journey. He comes across Asia Minor into the town of Troas, which is, which is right on the coast, right across from Greece, which is important because Greece is the next continent. He's in Asia, and the next continent is, is uh, Europe. And as he pulls there, he has this vision at night. It's told about in Acts chapter 16, verses, um, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. So passing by in Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The important thing is this is in the book of Acts. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write both of The first book is about the ministry of <coughs> the second one, the book of Acts, is about from Jesus' ascension, sending the Holy Spirit, and the spread of the gospel message to, to the Gentiles uh, through the ministry of, of the apostles. So Luke is telling a story, and he says, if, if you pay attention to the pronouns, he says, passing by Mycenae, they went, they went down to Troas. And then he says in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as Luke is writing these words in Luke, writing these words in Acts, he's, he's celebrating that God had not only brought the gospel message to the Jews, excuse me, to the Gentiles, and that he, Luke, had had the privilege of receiving that message and responding to it. On top of that, he was called to take that message to other people as well. And, it, and that had that special meaning to him as he's being inspired to write this account in the book of Luke about what, what had done, what had been done in his life by God with the gospel message. Uh, this is something that every one of us as Christians needs to remember uh, every day. We need to think about the fact that we were once in sin, separated from God, subject to his wrath, subject to his judgment, and there was nothing we could do that would be good enough to earn his forgiveness. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place, mm-hmm. receiving the punishment we deserve so that by trusting in him, we can be forgiven from our sins and reconciled to him. That's, that's the message of the Bible for every person who has trusted in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to remember every single day. In fact, um, what I was just describing in that message was sort of a, a paraphrase of what's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 5, where in order to tell the people, the Christians at Ephesus, about how they should be living, Paul prefaces it by reminding them where they came from, what Christ had done. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Let's skip down a few more verses. He says, we were by nature children of wrath. Not meaning that they had wrath with other people. Meaning that God had justifiable wrath for them because of their sin. And that's what they were subject to. And he goes on to say, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And a few verses later he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
we need to remember that every single day. Uh, it, it's this is this defines us. This is our identity as Christians. There's a guy named Matt Stiles who wrote a book called Marks of the Messenger, and in it he says that churches and groups and even individuals go through different stages with the gospel. First they they embrace it, then they take it for granted, then they confuse it, and then they abandon it. And we, we see that in many churches that have gone down that road. But the key for us is to embrace the gospel and not let go. But put our arms around the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us, remind ourselves of it every single day. Every single day, remember where we were, what he brought us from uh, as we begin our day. Sometimes we see new believers, and we say, new believers are so enthusiastic. People who have been believers for a long time don't seem to have that same enthusiasm. I think it's because they went from embracing to taking it for granted. And what we need to do is every day, not take it for granted, but remind ourselves. So the application of that is every single day, remind yourself. I like to say, before you get out of bed in the morning, let me pause there, but you, you have to love any advice that starts with the word before you get out of bed. <laughs> but before you get out of bed in the morning, while you're still laying, don't start worrying about what you have to do that day, worrying about something else. Talk to God about what he has done for you. Remind yourself, thank him, and praise him for where you came from and how he brought you from there. Start your day on that note, because that's your identity. That's how we approach our day as Christians. That's what she thinks. Our day different from what our day would be if he had not saved us in the first place. Yeah. So let me move on from there to the um, to the next part of the lesson or the next part of the sermon. On the next slide, if I can find it, there it is. Never confuse who is worthy of what. Well, see here is don't think we deserve more from God, and don't forget that He deserves our praise. What's interesting is that these uh, two different groups uh, came to Jesus um, on behalf of the centurion. First, the Jewish elders came, and second, uh, with a different message, the centurion's friends came. And I, and I just want to highlight one thing. This same event is told in Matthew, it's Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew, it doesn't mention the elders or the friends, it just it says that the centurion talked to Jesus. And some people might, if they're looking for uh, reasons to say, well, the Bible has contradictions. They'll look at these two and say, over here it says these guys said it, and over here it says the centurion said it. And I think there's a very simple explanation for that. It is when you send somebody to speak on your behalf to someone else, they represent you. And it's a fair description to say just by what they said as having been said by you. That's a simple rule of common sense. It's also a rule that, that we apply in our, in our society, in our legal system. If someone speaks on behalf of someone else, we attribute their comments to the person they're speaking on behalf of. So it's an interesting thing that those who want to try to nitpick and try to criticize the Bible will often apply a much more restrictive standard of, of what makes sense than we apply even in our own court system when we're looking for what is truth and what is the proper meaning. In fact, in our system we say that if you look at something and you seem to see two different statements in the same document that don't seem to fit together, you presume that the author of the document intended them both to have meaning and intended them to fit together. And so we are going to interpret them in a way that makes sense that each one has meaning. 
he approached the Bible the same way. Many of the so-called contradictions we will find don't actually exist. And I want to highlight that. And then I want to go on to say what these Jews actually added that the centurion did not tell them to say. He, they said to Jesus, he is worthy to have you do this. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, I want to skip ahead here. But... Whoops. I think I skipped ahead too far. Is that the right one? Yeah. So the, cent the, uh, the centurion put in brackets because it says he said. It's talking about the centurion. Um, or actually, um, he sent the Jews to ask these things. And he sent his friends. And then we're down here for the third line. The elder said, he's worthy to have you do this because he loves our nation. He built our synagogue. So they're listing good works that this man had done, saying, this is why, Jesus, this man deserves for you to do something. Now, first of all, the word worthy is the Greek word axios. It means to deserve something, as we use it in our own language, to be worthy of something. There's a little news website called axios. What if they got the name from the same, from the same Greek? And it right on their website, and about page, it says, uh, it says our name is Axios. It's the Greek word for worthy because we try to give you news that is worthy of your time, attention, and trust. And so it means to deserve something. So they're saying this man deserves <coughs> for Jesus to do this for him because this man did good works for us. That, that shows a lot about our human nature. Even if we were Christians, we have a tendency to fall back into our human nature many times. One thing they were doing was saying, other people who we do favors for, that the end, we're going to judge them whether to do favor for them based on whether they do good stuff for us. And that's not right. Jesus said that we should, we should love our enemies. We should, we should do good for, even for those who hate us. It also shows that they, they're judging whether someone deserves something from God based on whether that person has done good work. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that our righteous works are like filthy rags. They don't earn us anything from God. And also, we apply this a third way in our life, which, which is people often decide whether they're going to believe in God based on whether good things happen to them. People have bad things happen in their lives. They doubt that God exists. They choose not to believe in God uh, because of that. But all of these are based on thinking we deserve good things to happen for us. And we're going to judge other people and our and God based on whether they do good things for us. And we're going to judge what we should get from God based on what we do for him. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. So they needed to learn something here. It says Jesus went with them. Um, my view of it is he went with them anyway. In other words, they didn't persuade him. Well, that's a pretty good argument. I should go with them and, and do, like they said. But he said, he's saying to himself, these guys need a lesson, and school is now in session. He's, he's going to go down there with them. He knows they're going to see the centurion, and he's going to show them a picture of what real faith actually looks like. Mm -hmm. So they went down to the centurion, and the centurion says, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. The same word again. And he says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you. So this is the reason why he sent others in place, because he didn't consider himself worthy. And the word translated, I did not presume, I did not presume to come to you, is actually another form of the word worthy. It's the verb form. So axios is the adjective. Axiao is the verb, to consider worthy. So when he says, I did not presume to come to you, it's saying literally, I did not consider myself <coughs> worthy to come to you. Because he knew he's a mere man. 
a sinful human being. And Jesus is the Son of God. And he went on to describe this further in ways that surpassed the understanding and the presumptions of the Jews. Because he said, uh, what we see here is that I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Teaching 
had authority. In chapter 4, verse 36, it said that he had power and authority to cast out demons. By his mere word, they were cast out. And in chapter 5, verse 24, it said that um, he, he, Jesus declared to them that he had power to forgive sins, or, excuse me, authority to forgive sins. So by his command, these things happen and must happen because he's the Son of God. This, the Roman official died. This, the Jewish community leaders missed. They did not understand it. He said, I too am a man set under authority. There we go. It was up there at one point. He said, I too am a man under authority. He understood this because he's not only over other soldiers, but he's also under authority. He's in a hierarchy. He understands what authority is. And he, so he gets that's how Jesus works. Jesus has authority to do these things. And so and he's ready to submit to Jesus' authority and also to recognize Jesus' authority over all other things that he built. So Jesus' response is that he marveled. And he made this statement. Not even in Israel have I seen such faith. This is a significant statement. I did a little bit of research on this statement. Um, there's a group, there, well, there are lots of liberal theologians and theology professors across this country who, uh, who spend a lot of their time trying to find ways not to believe what the Bible says instead of the faith spending time to believe what the Bible says. And there was a group that spent several years studying the Gospels and saying, we think that Jesus didn't actually say a lot of these things that the Gospels say what he said. And they work on some interesting presumptions. One of the presumptions is we're going to reverse the burden of proof. Instead of assuming that this document is accurate, unless we can prove it isn't, we're going to assume nothing that's in the Gospels was actually said by Jesus unless we can prove that it was said by him. And the fact that it's in the Gospels doesn't constitute evidence that it was said by him. Well, but to no surprise, they concluded 82% of what he is attributed as saying in the Gospels was not actually said by Jesus. Actually, the biggest surprise is that they came to only 82% because they already assumed 100% of it wasn't said by him. But, but that's, that's where the human nature, the desire not to be accountable to God will take you in terms of taking apparently good minds and good studies, but reaching really illogical conclusions because they just did not want to believe this is God's authoritative word. And then when they, on this particular verse, they looked at this statement here by Jesus, and they said, we think that what happened was when they wrote the Gospels, they were already teaching things different from what Jesus had already taught. So they just put a lot of words in his mouth to support what they were doing. So anytime we see in the Gospels Jesus saying something that's consistent with what they were teaching about him a few, a few years later, like Paul and the other apostles, we're going to assume Jesus didn't actually say it. And that's a little backwards of what you'd expect. You'd assume it's consistent, they validate since they started with the assumptions that, that they had changed his message, and they concluded every time what he says is consistent with what the apostles were teaching. And they, he didn't actually say that. And that's what they concluded about this particular line in this verse. They said, Jesus didn't actually say it. And, and so I tell that story just to say, watch out. I would guess, in that, in that, in that, in that, in that I, I think across the country, 
theologians and theology professors in universities and seminaries, probably more than half of them have been steeped in that kind of thing. It's, I can tell you that a number of people in our church have gone to seminaries and graduated who are studying, and the seminaries they're choosing reject that kind of thing. But across our country, that's what a lot of seminaries are teaching, that's what a lot of professors are teaching, that's what as a result of their students who are the cultists of churches across this country are thinking, even if they aren't saying publicly to the congregation. So just because a church has a cross on the outside and a Bible somewhere inside and they mention Jesus sometimes, doesn't mean they're actually respecting God's word for its authority, mm -hmm. whether they're respecting the true gospel message of Jesus Christ. Be cautious of that and cling to his truth, which really brings us back to this whole issue of authority. Jesus had the authority over illness to heal. He had authority to command. God has authority. God's word has authority. When we start second-guessing it and trying to make ourselves the judge of Scripture instead of making Scripture the judge of us, we overlook his authority. We take for granted what he has done. We start to whittle down what he has promised to do in his gospel message and confuse the message of the gospel and we eventually abandon the gospel. So what we need to do is hold close to the gospel, hold close to the scripture, to the authority of Jesus, to the authority of God and his word. And so we need to remember where it is that Jesus brought us from. We need to remember what he's already done for us and that he's already done for us more than we deserve and that we, he deserves our praise we need to rely on God's authority and the authority of his word for how we live our lives each day. We need to remind ourselves of those each morning as the very start of that. Let me close this in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your authority. We inspire these letters to write these things so that we can know how to respond to you, have a relationship with you, and have salvation from our sins be reconciled to you. We thank you for all these things. We ask you to help us not to take these things for you for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.